We acknowledge that we live and work on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that we benefit from the colonial structures and policies that remain in place today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people and recognise their ongoing struggles in dismantling those structures. During the First World War, strikes caused fuel shortages so severe that the Victorian government reopened the old brown coal mine near Morwell in the Latrobe Valley. And the state government has outlined a long-term plan to ensure the Latrobe Valley remains viable as its economy moves away from coal-fired energy. It's been the lifeblood of the Latrobe Valley for decades, but continual change in the power industry and the introduction of the carbon tax means it's time for a plan B. It's a month tomorrow since fire entered the Hazelwood coal mine in Victoria's east. Fire has been burning for weeks now, blanketing the township in a toxic smoke. The housing estates are literally just 50 metres away, so when the wind blows in the other direction, they take all of that in. The guillotine has finally come down on Australia's dirtiest power station, Hazelwood. It's caused jitters about electricity prices and raised questions about Australia's readiness for a low carbon future. We're not going to achieve net zero in the cafes, dinner parties and wine bars of our inner cities. The Latrobe Valley's coal mines could be filled with water and made into a tourist attraction to rival Italy's Lake Como. Just a heads up to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island uh, listeners, this episode does touch on a little bit about the historical uh, situation at Lake Tyre's mission, so if that will be distressing for you, best to skip this episode. Oh my god, it's hot today, Stephanie Sabrinskis. We are sitting in this st steamy little toilet room. It is so hot. I love all of this soundproofing, but I think it makes it at least like 15 degrees hotter. <laughs> From the look of us, like that's why we're essentially naked. Like Exactly. <laughs> and look, I, I was thinking when I came in and I was like, I need to take my top off. This is what always used to happen at band practice. I'd be playing and I'd get hot and it's the same bloody soundproof stuff that makes me just need to get nude. It's actually like a conspiracy just for you to get your top off. <laughs> Everyone around you is like, Everyone just wants me. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I have a confession about how long it's been since I did this recording. <gasps> yes. It was from June of 2022. Oh my gosh, yes. what has happened to this year? Yeah, it just flew away and we ended up putting the Gippsland New Energy Conference episode first because Correct. that had a bit more timeliness to it. However, today's episode uh, is something that we've both been really passionate about because this entire project was started because we wanted to sort of start to look at all of the artists in the area as a couple of artists ourselves we were like hey what is going on down here and obviously we've taken sort of a, a left turn with this podcast but today's episode is all about art Yay! so we've been looking a lot at the contemporary history of the area and the direct impacts of the mine on the community via various uh, disciplines and aspects but today we're speaking with Ronald Edwards Peppers who's a Gunai Kurnai man who uh, is an artist and he makes these incredible large-scale paintings and public artwork that tell the stories of his ancestors but also grapple with his identity as both an indigenous and a gay man so Steph it's your favorite topic intersectionality I love it <laughs> I yeah I'm so curious about this and I'm sure there's heaps of crossover that I could never possibly understand as a white um, non-indigenous person and like the way that queer identities intersect with um, Aboriginality fascinating so keen yeah. to learn yes I'm so excited to have you listen back to this because I hadn't listened to it since June it was really great to like go back and cut into it and see all the incredible points that Ronald makes so I have to kind of set the scene for how we recorded this interview though it was a little unconventional so um I ended up going to uh 
this, this, this place in Morwell that I feel like is quite hard for people to believe is real, but it's essentially like a, <laughs> a ma- magical place. Yeah, this magical place. I want to call it like Kernot Hall Lake, or maybe it's the Immigration Park Lake. I'm not sure what the official name was of it is, but it's this sort of like man-made lake that has a walking path around it. It's kind of been sculpted to look like it looks more like it's from Queensland is than it, it does kidney? Victoria. Yeah, it's like a kidney like, shape, but it's also connected to these like fucking swamplands that it kind of like bleeds into. Yeah. But it's also sitting on the banks of like the Kernot Hall, which is like Morwell's main town hall sort of area, which is this, like very 1980s modern line, streamlined building. But then it's also got a TAFE campus attached to it and this immigration park. My main memory of this fucking lake is that when my parents first got divorced, my dad would try to outcompete with my mum and Ooh. buy us Maccas, which of course is just right near the lake. And we would go and sit at this lake and like my dad would be like, I'm the best. And we'd be like, yes, you are, dad. You're the best buying us this McDonald's. Until, because this area is filled with fucking gooses, a goose chased me and I dropped oh, my hamburger no. into this fucking lake. So this is where I was doing this interview do you know the place that i am talking about i know it so very very well i actually went to the tafe there um as well that's where i studied music but uh it's not it's not doing music now because it's like the gibson new technology center and it's all like it's where all the training for new solar technologies and and renewable energy technologies are happening so that's pretty exciting it's like so thematically linked thanks so thematically linked and um, yeah, so I used to also live just near it. And I have a memory from way back in the when about Mid Valley again, because Mid Valley. Um, you basically go from the lake to, to the swamp to Mid Valley. Yeah, to the housing estate yeah. thing. And do you, like, do you have any recollections of the housing estate? Yes, I thought growing up that as a little capitalist guy, that that housing estate was the dreamiest place on earth. Like to me, they were all the homes were exactly the same. Do you, I don't, did you ever play Sims, Sim City like, or Sims? Yeah, yeah. Everyone course. lived on a cul-de-sac. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was one of the few places in Morwell that had cul-de-sacs. And to me, the very height of class was like living on a street <laughs> with a cul-de-sac. So I was like, we would drive past that out of Mid Valley and be like, oh my God, that's the place to be. Right. I have to like delve into that a little further. As a little capitalist guy, where the fuck would have you wanted to shop so bad in Mid Valley? Was it like uh, Target. Target? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the toy section at Target, Target Steph, obviously. And Target. that weird What's New store. Oh, to What's get new? like a penis straw and a slinky. Do you remember like sneaking into the adults only section of What's New? They had like a little adults only bit with all the penis. So straws. transgressive. You'd yeah. be like, oh, I hope no. And like the person behind the counter like does not give a fuck. No, but you feel like you are crossing some invisible threshold yeah. into adulthood that you're not supposed <laughs> to be true. at yet. Speaking of invisible thresholds into adulthood. Oh God. Um, <laughs> I have this really clear memory of. Um, one of my best friends growing up used to do lots of dancing. So I used to spend lots of time going to dance Steadfords and things over the school holidays. And the turnout hall was where the dance Steadfords happened yes. back then. And so I remember me and my friend trekking on over right around the lake, right down through the swamp, right down through the housing est- estate to go shopping at Mid Valley to buy G-bangers. <laughs> <laughs> what are you like, how old? Like, I think... I want to say 13, 14, but I'm veering more on 12, 13. Like it was either grade six or year seven that this happened. And yeah, we just thought like, 
that the most adult thing that we could possibly ever do was to wear G bangers. And it of is. course, like and our still parents, is. <laughs> still is so adult. Of course, our parents would not have paid for this kind of underwear on children. <laughs> like, so we had to like sneak off and do it. And I remember going there and shopping around and we'd come up with like these stories all the time that we were sisters or that we were oh, twins yes. and we'd have names like Trisha. <laughs> Beautiful, stunning. And um, yeah, we, we, I remember this one summer holidays or maybe it wasn't summer, but it is now in my mind forever um, that this guy started talking to us and he was like, I don't know, older, maybe, uh, maybe early twenties, maybe like eight. Oh, you're going to look back on that memory. It's like a 50 year old man. It, to- it, it totally was. is. But in my mind, it's like full, like Wu-Tang clan jacket and oh, like yeah. a FUBU, double stripe a Adidas suit. or whatever the yeah. fake Adidas stripe pants are. And like he started talking to us and we told him our fake backstory that we were like twin sisters called Trisha and Patsy or something. I don't know. What, what rhymes with Trisha? That's Trisha Nisha. and Marisha. <laughs> something ridiculous like that. And anyway, he ended up inviting us to his house, which was in this like housing estate. Oh, and no. we went over there and it was like Bong City. And I remember me and her like sitting on the couch, like really close to each other. And he's asking us all these questions like, are you sure you girls are 17 and, or 18? I feel like, or, mate, if you've got to ask yourself the question, you should get the fuck out. You should out. know. Get the fuck out of here. But yeah, we had obviously said we were much older than um, we were. And there was hubcaps on the wall, Josie. Hubcaps. And this is like not the first house that I've been at where there's like lots of the correlation between yeah the correlation between like hubcaps and bongai yeah it's like that's a circle right it is a circle yeah and so I don't know how we got out of there but thankfully we got out of there relatively unscathed except for this fun story so oh my god well that is exactly the vibe of the place I think uh, scary right. hubcap man lake right next to a nana i gotta say yes like in the estate yes. itself there's like nanas with lovely flourished gardens and then there's yeah bong rat with hubcap wall and that, to be fair is the valley in a nutshell though it isn't is. it like that's kind of the two types yes um yes. and we we fall strongly into the bong rat category obviously, <laughs> obviously. but also with some nana qualities so yes. you know you're one or oh, the other i feel like it's speaking to my own personality yeah like. nana bong rat <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, that is that is the place where I conducted this interview mm-hmm. in my car. So that's the milieu with which we should understand this interview. Um, <laughs> you know, all of that baggage, bring that along. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I think that as an artist, it's always really interesting because the way the institution sort of summarize you ends up being like, I don't know, the way that you're reduced down or something. And obviously, like, Ronald is, like, an incredible artist and he's got many facets. But I thought I'd get you to read um, one of the institutions, which is the Literary Regional Gallery, um, just, like, the way that they sort of summarise him because I think it's a good backbone for understanding um, how he's sort of being positioned in the world but also, like, a good summary of just, like, a little bit more about him. So can you read this for us, Steph? I sure can, Josie. So, Ronald Edwards Pepper is an Aboriginal artist of the Gunakena Nation who uses painting as a primary way to express his identity and tell the stories of his ancestors. Edwards Pepper is based in Morwell, Gippsland, where his grandparents Dolly Mullet and Watson Pepper arrived in the 1960s from Lake Tyre's mission. The histories and stories passed on to Edwards Pepper through generations have become essential to his life, strongly connecting him to the Gunakurnai land and people. Oh, I love that. I think um, he's one of those artists that I feel like the more you connect the dots, the more you're like, oh my God, that's his work and that's his work. So it's so fun, like wandering around being like, oh shit, that's also a Ronald um, or a Pepper, I guess. And, and Edward's Ed- Pepper. Edward's Pepper. Uh, cool. So let's start with having Ronald introduce himself. Woman Angie, my name is Ronald 
Edwards Pepper, born in Mawal, 11th of the 4th, 1982, and being a professional artist and to share culture in a way. I'm Angana Kunai Country. I'm a Ghanai artist and I just wanted to talk to you about my art, some of my art and some of the designs and some of the milestones and awards I've been winning um, over the last 10 to 11 years of my art career and just recently had a art exhibition at the Koori Heritage Trust in Melbourne um, that was from an award the year before I won and that was the Koori Art Awards. I never thought that I would ever win a big award like that and it was just to do around my colours and my sexuality being gay and Aboriginal person in a country town and just seeing that piece and added in what it represents to me and the story behind it yeah and just coming out in a way through my painting. So he's talking about this huge award he won the Creative Victoria Award for Excellence um, for his piece called Coming Out Too. So I've just sent you How a link. Amazing. I know. And he's from fucking more. I mean, I know, like, obviously it's amazing for him specifically, but anytime someone from Molo is, like, on the international or state stage, I'm always like, wow. It makes me so happy <laughs> because we get so many bad news stories. Yes. And, like, and I don't, you know, I don't want to gloss over all the nuance of this area, but there's so many good things happening and it is incredible to see people in the arts make it. Like, when you look on the Wikipedia page for Latrobe Valley... I was Valley, just going to say, it's like one... Like it's one called, like, footer. five footballers. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Football's great, but the arts, like... Someone needs to go in. Some wiki contributor needs right. to go in and add fucking If you're Ronald. out there, yeah. add Ronald totally. to the wiki page about Latrobe Valley. So his piece coming out too, I went to have a look at it at the Korea Heritage Trust, which is like right in the heart of the city. It's at our a, uh, ACM, what's the square called? Federation ACMI Square. Office. Federation yeah. Square. So it's up in that building. Um, and his piece was displayed there. So I've sent you the link. Do you want to have a go kind of just <gasps> describing it? Because it's 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 not what you imagine. Like if you're imagining sort of traditional looking Indigenous art, it's not that because his use of colour is like amazing. Like he's bringing in his other identities, right? So the first thing that strikes me about this piece is the colours that are used. Like the colours that Ronald uses are not what you usually traditionally see in um, Ghanai art or in a lot of just other art as well. The colours are so vibrant. And so I can see there's a lot of um, like cultural influence, but also there's like this modernness to the piece. So it looks like it's on a piece of board that's got wavy edges at the top and the bottom and straight sides. And the background is uh, like a brown, uh, a brown color with extremely vibrant um, blue spirals and pink circles and yellow circles and green circles and red circles. And then throughout the in the center of the circles, there looks like kind of archival pieces, like images of his family, newspaper clippings. I can't read what any of them say from this um, photo, but it's like it's. A collage of all these different kind of pieces that I guess make up Ronald's identity I'm guessing totally. so it's an amazing piece and there's handprints and footprints and there's lines that go along that lead to everything it's it, it's incredibly beautiful 
we should definitely be linking this. In <laughs> I was just gonna say one of my notes is as much <laughs> as much as we will try to describe Ronald's pieces, we'll oh. obviously include them in the show notes. So I've got a small paragraph here from uh, an interview he did for the Curry Heritage Trust. Uh, by Andrew Stevens, which I think kind of really sums up the themes of this piece, but I also feel like gives us a good sense of like why Ronald's art is like so amazing because he's not just, you know, pushing boundaries and doing his like the intersectional of his identity. He's like actually communicating this stuff through his work. So Andrew Stevens writes, Ronald's work coming out to is a painting, but it operates more like a tapestry or a collage in that it weaves together multiple stories and strands from his own history and experiences. This is in quotation. Creating this artwork, I have included many elements. So this is Ronald's statement. Uh, Creating this artwork, I have included many elements and colours. He says, I just want it to be happy. The title and the story behind it helped me explain step by step the process of going through my art journey with trips to Japan and China. I've put different elements of the artwork as well as many pictures and images of memories and it makes me so happy and safe and makes me proud to be an artist. The bright colour is to make me and everyone else happy and to bring out the brightness in what's going on around me. Isn't that like the sweetest? It is. And it does. When you look at it, it just, it looks like happiness it spaghetti. Re- it does. <laughs> and when the first part, before you get to where Ronald is reading, I'm like, that's how a real art person describes an art piece. I'm like just stumbling around. From Andrew Stevens, some kind of art and, guy. Yes. Well done, Andrew yeah. Stevens. But what Ronald says is so beautiful and yeah, and I just want it to be happy. And I think it is happy. It's interesting layers and color and yeah color makes me happy as you would know from my house <laughs> I mean yeah look around except in this great podcast <laughs> yeah sweet so I think that um one of the really amazing things about Ronald's work is sort of like his very universal themes of sort of coming out and I just wanted to sort of touch on the fact that Ronald's obviously from um uh the Gunai Kurnai area and I think that coming out in a small town is never easy and he kind of does grapple a little bit with the work so I asked him about what his journey um, of coming out is was like for him down here and this is what he had to say. A lot of people that I know they struggle to come out in a way of their sexuality and more on their culture as well but I'm very lucky to be an artist and I did it through my art um, and people knew that I was gay because, um, yeah, I had no woman or girlfriends like around. I just had a guy and sort of thing. And my mum, I never told my mum, but my mum would have known. <laughs> um, but she was very happy and she acknowledged Cameron um, and accepted him so that was very good and I appreciate that from my mum unknown that he was the one but it's very different to um, being an Aboriginal person and living with a Australian person who's from up Queensland Gabba Gabba way that's the language up in Queensland and I'm from Gunai Kurnai, a Gunai artist from Gippsland, South East Australia. That connection. And that's why I do a lot of footprints, white and black footprints. That's everyone walking together on an Australian country. And that represents my new art and the colours that come out of Australia. Yeah. So, obviously, like, that to me sounds like a 
I mean, it's really interesting to hear about that coming out process. Um, I didn't get a timeline on it, so I'm not sure if this was like 10, 20 years ago. Um, but my understanding is it's like not like it's not the 50s he's talking about with still yeah. these challenges. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Like his partner dropped him off. Like I saw Cameron um, drop Ronald off and um, we had a quick chat and he seemed like a really sweet, sweet guy. So I think it's really interesting hearing him speak about like that cultural difference. I find um, coming out stories really cathartic to hear and I kind of wanted a little bit more about like how specifically he did it because he touched on how he comes out to his art, which is obviously like, I'm, what a beautiful, amazing process. Yeah. So I asked him just to follow up a little bit more about like what does that specifically look like for him? Well, before I did come out, I thought um, my career, it was the end of my career sort of thing. Um, I don't know why I thought of that, but um, that's what happened. Um, that's just my thoughts. Yeah, but knowing that everyone out there, knowing, I think they had a fair idea, yeah, of the way I dress, and I'm always doing stuff, but people just knew, yeah but um, didn't actually ask me or, yeah, yeah, or just let me be. But it was, yeah, that respect that I started building up because I was a artist and, yeah, I, my art took um, that story in a way, yeah, yeah, to win the award and just to um, come out in a way that, People, um, it's difficult to come out in ways, um, like it could be a female or male in all different ages. Yeah, and I think my story is unique in a way because doing it through art. That is really beautiful to be able to come out through your art instead of just getting drunk and telling your parents <laughs> like me. <laughs> is that what you did? I got pissed and I told my mum. My dad doesn't know. Um, your dad doesn't just, he, he can just tell. Uh, he can't, no. He, like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He like, I don't know. You are queer presenting, right? Like I think so. Like I get read as a lesbian You're wearing a banner thing. What are they called? Like a hair banner thing. Oh, what? a hair band. A hand band. Yeah. Hand bandana. Yeah. I, I, this is actually, I was. <laughs> you look like fucking Rosie the Riveter. Like, is yeah, there anything right. gayer? I don't know. But yeah, my dad doesn't live in a world where gay people really exist. <laughs> That's so true. So he's not that, looking for he's it. He's not looking for well, it. Well, I was going to ask you, like, I think uh, Ronald talking about coming out through artwork. Like, did you do some gay art? Like, did you do poems and stuff? Well, look, is collecting, like, so I'm thinking back to high school, is like collecting folders and folders and folders of boys making out uh, or girls making out a gay art. Yes, especially <laughs> like if you public. like put it all together in like a wrote, collage. Yeah, you yeah, collage. Yeah. Well, there was it. definitely like some, um, yeah, some queer undertones in my art. I think like a step that I always kind of took as a music performer is that I would never change the gender that was in a song. So I know lots of like, uh, yeah, if, if I was singing a song that was traditionally sung by a man and he's singing about a woman, I'd never change it to being mm. about a man but a lot of straight artists do that um so that was something that I did and I don't know whether that registered to people mm. um as like a proactive step but it was something that proactively I did decided not to do as someone who likes all the kinds of people <laughs> yeah it's so interesting when it's like um if it's outside the bounds of like the binary in that way where it's like a spectrum it's less about establishing it's more about like being confused and perplexed by everybody else's rigidity. 
Right. That's we it. just like exactly. Why would I change? Why would I change the words? Like I don't even think of it in yeah. those terms. Um, I'm thinking of because I'm thinking about in high school. I just thought about that Incubus song. I don't know. I think it's called "Your Love Is a Verb" here, and the line is like "Your Love Is a Verb here in my room." But I think being queer was just a verb. Like to me, it just was something that I was doing and that I was being rather than something I was saying. Yeah. Um, for a long time, which I think is like what the experience of a lot of people. Mm. Um, it, and it doesn't feel like, I don't know, I don't know, I didn't feel like I had to come out in high school per se, but yeah, later it felt important. Mm. It's interesting hearing Ronald talk about being worried that his career would be over for coming out as gay, which must have been extremely distressing. So I think now to be at a point where he's able to like actually make works called Coming Out and Two, not I just know. the first one, uh, obviously like a move for him like for sure towards his like you know being super authentic around who he is um and I guess I wanted to go and talk a little bit about his sort of first artworks and I think I'm really interested in the way that this kind of like because you know before he was talking about like the happiness and stuff Mm -hmm. and like the colors and everything Ronald's artwork seems to have sort of like changed spaces in a place like Morwell where you would think I don't know, that that wasn't necessarily possible. Like, we're the kind of town where they tried to play classical music to stop fighting and people fought more and it just looked like Clockwork Orange. Like, I don't think a lot of that stuff sort of takes. So I wanted to ask him about his sort of first creations. We're currently uh, at the immigration sort of museum area and I actually read about one of your earliest artworks being a public mural. Uh, just ne- like down near the Maccas, right? Like you did a public mural just over there somewhere? Yeah, that's yeah. over there under the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, that was my very, very, very first art project in 2014, I think. Winning the Lynn Anus Award, the Victorian Indigenous Art Award, um, in 2009, yeah, I kept on painting stories and, yeah, become a professional artist. Yeah. In a way, yeah, because people would go and check it out, and with colours, it makes them feel very happy. Yeah, and recently I did an art project, and a lot of people were very positive and saying they should have more of that art out there in public. So it's very good um, when I did that one in 2014, but it's a very different one I did compared to. The one other one on the other side, that's the spray paint with um, the gathering place and the youth group and the spray paint artist from Morrigal, Jess and his crew. They were all helping and Marilyn Fenton, she's an artist as well. And it was like a community one. Mm. Yeah, and that's the other side. So I remember coming across this, again, walking in that weird swampy area. That was a place where... At, during high school, you just wouldn't go. Like, the bus drops you off near Mid Valley, and if you want to walk to your friend's house and buy the estate, you have to kind of go through this, like, fucked-up underpass, basically, right? Like, super murderous. Mm. I remember, like, running through there as a child because we would ride our bikes to Mid Valley and just be, yeah. like, horrified. Yeah. And so Ronald got commissioned to put a piece of art there, and it really changed the the mood. So I've just sent you a link to uh, have a look at it. Do you want to kind of describe it for people? It's amazing. So everyone knows what an underpass looks like. It's a shitty dank place. Um, but Ronald's work, it's like long lines with their very kind of divided parts. One on the lower lower lowest part, it looks kind of like water with this long spiral 
um, spiral at the end that goes all the way through. Then there's a black and blue line and then there's a white line and then in the center it's all red and orange and there's handprints and there's circles and then there's another white line and above it's like black with um, with white all through it as well. And I love the handprints and the spirals and the half circles and like all of that stuff you can still see very much in his work now, like the, the last one I just described. But the colours, like they're so vastly different in that work. I feel like now I'm like it's Ronald's work but with a rainbow thrown on it. Yes, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting seeing that kind of work in an unexpected place like this underpass. This is not just like a train, I don't know, a train, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to communicate. It's an out-of-the-way underpass. Yes, it's like, like a super dank and creepy one that you have to go out of your way yeah. to. But it was a real problem area. Like people like used to just hang out under there and like get drunk and take drugs, I basically. used to um, have to walk under there every day when I was living with your dad, Josie. <laughs> and I was Easter working, egg for those playing at home. Yeah. When I was living with Josie's dad <laughs> and working at Mid-Valley, I worked at a fruit and vegetable <laughs> shop there. And there was no buses as early as I had to arrive at Mid-Valley um, because it's the valley and there's no, like, there's tenable bus schedule. <laughs> it just sucks. Um, but, yeah, so I had to walk all the way from that house, the shop, to working at the fruit and vegetable shop. And I walked past that. It's like a, a scary out-of-the-way place with no colour and dankness. And, and now Ronald's yeah. work is sort of, like, enlivened it yeah yeah so I'm so interested in the way that he depicts the land because I think you know we speak a lot about the land down here and we talk a lot about um you know the shape of what's happening and like the future of the land so I wanted to know since he kind of depicts it within his work um what he thought about what's going on and like how conscious is like does he try to bring elements of that stuff into the work and this is what he had to say thinking that the land is sick mother earth but the water is washing it all down and that's why I do a lot of colour in my artwork and that brings back what it used to look like. Yeah, look after it because the land looked after us um, for many years and yeah, the gen next generation so that they will have um, a beautiful country as well and their kids because knowing that the land and Mother Earth are sick in a way due to the floods, fires and all that and it's just common sense and knowledge sort of thing. And being an Aboriginal person, I'm very deeply connected. You can see what's going on and where the water is going and you can feel that because when you're looking at the mountains, when you're travelling along the country, you can see the mothers, um, they all laying down sort of thing. In a distance, um, the shape, but you keep on looking at them and it's, yeah, it's like our mum's laying down sort of thing. Maybe not, yeah, do a lot of damage to the land and clean it and maintain it and and then that would be great for the next generations because, yeah, just seeing the mine fires and the pollution and the effects because, yeah, I was born in more out the hospital in 1992 and then that's when it closed down but now it's St Hilary's. But just seeing the changes a lot, yeah, yeah. And I could see that because in 2014, there was pelicans at the wetlands and the mine fires were happening and now they're all gone. Wow, I really liked hearing um, Ronald explain how he wants to paint the land like it used to be. And with bringing all that colour and that life back, um, back into the space, 
And also, I really love him. I can't remember the exact quote, but just the sentiment of um, we have to look after the land because the land looks after us. Or And then him just being like, it's common sense. And that's what it feels like with Lost right. Side of like, oh, yeah, yes. Absolutely common make, sense. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I saw a economist has just launched like a new um, pro- proposal for like a way we could run the economies, right? And the whole difference is it's not about perpetual growth it's about sustainable growth oh and it just God. feels like it's so again obvious. obviously it's not like, an economist but yeah <laughs> it's like yeah how is that not what we're doing <laughs> I know. the world is bonkers yeah like it's madness it's absolute madness yeah um, and to hear someone sort of just put it in such simple terms you're like yeah, yeah. yeah why do we need this like complex fucking we don't need like another yeah. report or whatever to be like hey maybe this is fucked I also love the description of the hills as like the mothers laying down. And yes. I guess because we're in a valley, we're surrounded by like two mums on either side. Obviously, gay mums, like it's delightful. Yeah. Um, but I like, uh, yeah, our mums laying down on either side of us and they're just resting and waiting for the land to be like rehabbed. Oh, it's like really it's, nice. it's so, yeah. Oh. But also, then that final statement about just like that the um, pelicans in the wetlands got all like yeah. ruined by the fire. Like it's just, it's just such. It's such distressing you land. You can see the devastation yeah. everywhere you move yeah. on the on the, the earth, like in Latrobe Valley and everywhere. But I just can't get over um, when I drove from with the Latrobe Valley up to Sydney and driving through Orbos where they've done all the logging and, uh, like, you could just see, like... Devastating. Said, it was absolutely devastating. You can see where it was all burnt in 2019 from the really bad bushfire and it goes from burnt regrowth trees into just freaking logging and I literally cried going through there like that's it's so visible the scars are so visible and mm. the mining scars in Latrobe Valley are so visible but you think like the the wetlands being destroyed by the mine fire or whatever is something that I would have not thought about had Ronald not fought it up but it, the wetlands are so close to where the mine was on fire it makes perfect sense that it wiped out the oh. ecosystem there as well like or yeah isn't it that saying around like if uh, everyone lived in glass houses, there wouldn't be, or if something along the lines of like if all factory farming was in like glass houses, then there wouldn't be factory farms. Like I yeah. think the fact that this environmental destruction is often sort of like shielded from us. Like I think we've talked about before that when you're driving, they often plant trees along the sides of the right. road, so you can't see the fucked. Right. <laughs> the the because it's hard not to feel emotionally. Um, distraught from when you actually see on the ground those impacts and that's I think it why is. those documentaries where you see like the Amazon rainforest being slashed and burned you're just like oh god this is obviously like your instinct obviously you can bad. feel your instinct yeah. to be like it's oh. like seeing a dead animal on the side of the road yeah. like it, I don't think well maybe I'm maybe my heart's too big or whatever but it not always makes me upset and I can't imagine anyone just driving past say an echidna that's being been like hit good and not thinking about that yeah. being a devastating idea. Um, I think what was also cool to hear from Ronald is that he was actually in more for the mine fire. Now, you know, currently our obsession is that fucking mine fire. And obviously we won't talk about our secret special massive project that we'll announce on this podcast eventually. But I had to ask what his experience was like during the Hazelwood mine fire. And this is what he had to say. I was in Mowal. My mum was in Mowal. And yeah, I didn't, well, was trying to um, maybe go somewhere for a couple of um a week or two yeah because i'm not sure if they was gonna evacuate more sort of thing yeah yeah but i was over in a two-story flats um yeah and my mum was down yeah so but just knowing that we had no air quality sort of thing and knowing 
what the um, power stations has did to the country. And I can see that because I see, it's like I see through country sort of thing. Um, I have many connections to the land of, through my mum as well as my dad. And that travels all the way through Lake, to Lake Ty's mission. And yeah, my pop travelled in the 50s to, to the 60s to, yeah, to be working because my pop used to make a lot of boomerangs and my name would paint them and sell them to the tourism people. So they made that move to be a working people person and live in the Western world as you would know it. Um, and there's many stories that I know of. But, yeah, I, I thank my nan and pop and that moving to this area because I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, well, the Lake Ties history, um, I didn't go down there much. Um, only just to see my pop, Pop Run Edwards, that's who I'm named after. He's a very good famous um, footballer um, and that would be painted in the next exhibition um, about my stories on my pop because he was a very famous footy player. Yeah and that's more to tell in the future. So I think that's super awesome about his um, family's connection to the land but I do want to just make a little sidebar here now about um, Lake Tyre's mission. I actually think um, that it it deserves a whole episode, you know, of its own. But I thought we should just touch on like exactly what a mission is and a little bit about the history of this one, just to sort of provide that context for um, what he's talking about with his family's connection to the land. So I got a lot of this information. Um, I didn't want to just get it from like colonial sort of sources. So this is taken from uh, deadlystory.com and the actual Lake Tyres Aboriginal Trust website itself. So um, I thought those would be more credible sources in this context. So their definition of what a mission is are that their missions, reserves and stations were areas where Aboriginal people were placed in after being forcibly removed from their traditional lands. Missions were usually under the control of churches and missionaries, while a station or reserve was typically run by the government. Missions, reserves and stations were often strict and harsh, with government protectors, and that's in inverted commas, controlling the lives of the Aboriginal people. Lake Tyre's mission, uh, the sort of traditional name of that is Bung... Yardner. So I guess we should we probably should do our best to say that. So it's like Bung Yardner. The place at Bung Yardner was set up in 1861 by a Church of England missionary. It ended up being around 4,000 acres of land. Obviously, the entire system and colonial structure is not good, but the reports on both of these websites say that while the first guy was in charge, he encouraged the uh, Aboriginal people to continue practicing their culture and maintain hunting practices to ensure they had enough food. He even attempted to establish an exclusive area of waters for the residents to fish in. However, the request was denied by the government. So this is but way back in 1861. Um, once that guy, they, uh, on top of that though, like that sounds like less bad, I guess, but there was also daily religious service for everyone, including daily Bible lessons for children. So obviously like it's maybe forcing people yeah, it's out a of forced assimilation of their type stuff. Yeah. So yeah. obviously deeply problematic. Yeah. Um so after this main first guy steps down from that role, things get much worse around the turn of the century in nineteen seventeen. Um the concentration plan, which was a plan to move all the indigenous people in the state to one place, which obviously 
ridiculous. Oh my like God, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, like that's hundreds of different language groups and all, like obviously not good. The mission's website states that originally the land of the Gunai Kurnai people, which where Ty, Lake Ty's mission uh, was, it became home to indigenous people from all over the state who were forcibly removed from their homelands. Many years later, many of these same families were forced to leave the mission and assimilate into townships. So by the end of the 1950s, assimilation policies forced many families to move to nearby towns to uh, gain employment. And between 1956 and 1965, the residents of the mission requested, protested and petitioned for Lake Tyres Mission Station to become an independent Aboriginal-run farming cooperative. The protests were successful after, like, no doubt, heaps of fucking heaps pain of and labor, suffering heaps of work yeah. heaps of bad travesties yeah. and stuff um the protest was successful and in uh, 1965 lake tyres mission was declared a permanent reserve in 1971 under the aboriginal land act of 1970 4000 acres of lake tyres reserve was handed over to the lake tyres aboriginal trust um and the trust was made up of reserve res- residents and functions to this day and that's the website where i got um the bulk of that information so that's um wow. Yeah, like just a lot like, to take in. Yeah. So I think we obviously want to acknowledge like that's an incomplete history um, and just a over- very, very simplistic overview just to give context of like the lineage from where Ronald's family sort of came from. And then obviously, so Lake Tyres is about four hours away. It's just past Lake's entrance. And so his family moved up here to Morwell, um, I believe in the 60s. Wow. Yeah. So because Ronald is a uh, Morwellian through and through, or a Gunai Kurnai man through and through, I really was curious about how he had, because now he's also sort of travelled around with his works, I was curious about how people perceive the area or how he understands people to perceive the area and how he's sort of been educating people around what it's like down here through his art. Um, well, I think that people think that there's, they have that connection because all my family's through yeah, is in Melbourne as well as down uh, Lake Ty, so along the line. Mm. Yeah, but I'm not sure what um people think of um the country area. But <coughs> when I went down there in the Yerrimboy f- showcase exhibition was in Melbourne, um, and that was part of the lockdown, unlockdown sort of thing. And I had the chance to go and, yeah, see my artwork for two weeks when it was showcased in Melbourne. And that was the best time in my life. But then lockdown happened and then I come back to Gippsland. So it's like I'm travelling and educating through my art. Did you get a chance to see that in the city? That was incredible. I was so, I knew that it was Ronald's piece and it was so beautiful and it made me happy. I don't know if that was the intention. I bet the colours. But the colours were incredible. And to have a Gunai artist from Latrobe Valley having their art on display in such a public location, like, Set it up where, give give some context, like, set it up where, like, what it was and, like... Um, so it was for... I can't remember the exact street it was on, did you say? It's So it's on along Swanson Street. Yeah, along Swanson Street. It was a giant mural. Like, it wasn't just, like, one side, well, one little, you know... It wasn't, like, a five metre by five metre. It seemed like 30 metres. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating. It was huge. It was was huge. It was part of the um, works that were going on to rebuild the CBD with all the extra um, train stations. stations. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone going in and out of the city would have seen this work. Right. And it it was all in this beautiful blue and pink colouring. And there's other colours there, too. But that's what struck me the most. And, yeah, Ronald must be so proud of himself. Like, I'm proud to have 
I a know. local artist like have their work on display like that like it's yeah. incredible it was really interesting hearing him sort of talk about um that being able to travel with his work and go to the city and like have people interact was like I think he said the happiest time yeah. of his life and I do think for a lot of artists like the pandemic it, it's a real sort of I don't know stopping moment like you don't mm-hmm. get to sort of pursue having people perceiving your work or showing your work and that can be really hard I think yeah. for people especially if you've got some momentum and then it's like the whole fucking world stops like I can only imagine how difficult that right must have and been. the support or the lack there of lack of support that was given to artists specifically um during the pandemic was shocking like yeah. there was not like it was there was no they're not eligible for those payments yeah like there was yeah, all sorts of discrimination there's all sorts of difficulties in in getting those sorts of things um and yeah I the I so like I, I guess I'm glad that a lot of the work that we're doing we're doing together so like I've always for the pandemic there was always you to bounce on and to talk um things through with but if you're a sole practicing artist or yeah it must have been ex- extremely difficult to find that connection um and to get that I don't know the validation that you need to yeah to be perceived as you said to have your work yeah. perceived like well I yeah. was um curious about that he sort of was working through storytelling through his art so I wanted him to unpack that a little more so I asked him about like how he goes about ensuring that these works are sort of like read like stories and this is what he had to say um through my art I do a lot of storytelling because it helps me heal mm. in a way as an Aboriginal person and to find my identity and to paint stories and to pass on knowledge and to, yeah, just to be a representative of Aboriginal people of this land to tell stories through my art. But when I do tell stories through my art, um, through the pandemic, and my mum passed away after not long ago, and that was when the highlight of my career started in Melbourne. Yeah, but I was crying in happiness, so that was like two years before then. Yeah, but a lot of stuff just started moving very quickly. Mm. But I was very proud and very, yeah, just um, breathtaking that my art was showcased in Melbourne. And that was a to-do list of when I was at TAFE here many, many years ago. But um, art has helped me heal to move forward in a way after the pandemic and all the, yeah, all the dark, sad stuff that was going on back then. Art has taken me to where I am now. Yeah, and it keeps on healing me in a way. And yeah, with many Aboriginal people, it helps them heal in ways that they can. And doing bright colours and telling stories. And yeah, just telling, that story yeah, is it makes you more prouder that you did it as well and you wouldn't change anything but you do tell stories in art the art helps me heal isn't Aww. that the most beautiful thing and yeah I think I don't know if you're an art person art really does help you heal and connecting with other people's work helps you experience and understand better and I really hope that um yeah I hope that like all the people that have seen Ronald's work um, get something out of it too. And I'm sure they will, like especially, I love the piece in Swanston Street. It really was incredible. I love hearing about how artists use their work to process things. I mean, I am just spitballing here. I'm aware obviously there's things like art therapy, but obviously like, is it that art helps you to translate 
really difficult concepts and like feelings and stuff into other forms and that helps you to process like some people write some people make sculptures some people paint some people sing some people doodle some people make gay sims and make them fuck (laughs) so like whatever it is it's like a way of getting it out of your head and and processing well I I think so I think so one of the things that I have found like I I'm an artist of sorts but I'm not like particularly good at any um, medium but with drawing for example I really like trying to draw and the thing that I personally like about it is that I don't have to put any feeling or any of me into it it's an activity that I can do that's kind of like disassociating from whatever's going in in my head yeah but where when I'm doing like art like singing like I you know I like to sing really fucking sad (laughs) songs because I connect with them and I connect I want to connect with other people's emotions unfortunately like I'm on the sad side of the spectrum where I think people need to process sadness and the sad happiness paradox yeah Um, uh, but processing happiness is amazing I wish I like I don't know how to make people happy but bright colors make me happy yeah but I think that there is something into in changing the form as you were saying like and and particularly in creating a piece to make someone look at something in a way that they've never looked at it before yes Um, seeing through the eyes of artists yeah having artists sort of communicate ideas in in ways or asking questions I think as part of yeah. it so I'm sure all the art historians are like rolling in their graves with our like rudimentary uh, understanding uh, like oh my god does art like maybe people put change the way they see things but I don't know it's it's so nice to hear Ronald speaking about that and again just the pride that you like vicariously feel yes. from hearing about his own pride at his yes. works being in those places so I wanted to know what Ronald was doing next and he was a little bit coy but this is what he had to say <laughs> yeah um yeah I'm think, I think I'm living my dream now yeah yeah um like I still gotta um just to, um slow down a bit because I just keep on going. I do notice yeah. on the internet you're like <laughs> every day you're like doing a different place, different artwork. It must be yeah a lot of energy. Yeah, and a lot of energy, but it keeps me busy and it keeps me happy. And knowing I'm yeah making a difference in this area and through art and culture. Thank you very much, and just keep on watching my artist network and spaces. Thanks again to our guest, Ronald Edwards Pepper, for being so generous with your time. You can find our resources in the show notes for this episode below. The music for Coldface is by Anonymous420 and Loyalty Freak Music. This series is written, edited and produced by Josie Hess and Stephanie Sabrinskis. If you like what you heard, find us on Instagram at ColdfacePod or send us an email to ColdfacePodcast at gmail.com. Look out for the next episode of Coldface.